0: You know, in light of our last couple weeks uh, on Sundays, I've been kind of feeling this need to share this with you guys. Um, How many of you guys know that whatever happens here on Sunday mornings in terms of God's presence and His work cannot happen apart from the work of His Holy Spirit? Yeah? Okay. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Just sharing it. I've just been feeling lately that there's just a lack of prayer for our Sunday gatherings, just us as a church as a whole. Anybody else going to? Here's what I mean by that. I'm not talking about some programmatic thing, type of thing, but I I just want to encourage many of you as you're thinking about, you know, what's one way that I can serve the church? What's one way that I can kind of be a part of it? What's one way that I can see God and and be part, you know, just uh, move along with God in terms of Him working? I want to say this. Throughout the week, whenever God prompts in your heart, will you pray for our gathering on Sundays? Will you pray that the Spirit of God would be here and be at work? Will you lift that up, you know, and be intentional about it and say, God... Whoever shows up on Sundays, whoever's there, their hearts, their lives, the ability to hear what you have to say and what you're doing, God, it's, it's not possible apart from the work of your spirit. So we just pray, God, for that. Just will you do that? Will you pray for that? And I also challenge some of you guys, if you can, come up earlier on Sunday mornings, you know, a little bit earlier and, and sit in the pews or walk around the pews or in front of the cross and spend some time just praying for hearts of men and women that are here and that are coming on Sundays. You you hearing what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. I think we get into this rut where we take for granted what God does. And there are times when he does just purely out of grace and his mercy. And there are other times when he challenges us to pray and to seek God and to be dependent on him. And I'm just feeling lately, just want to share with you. That instead of taking for granted what happens on Sundays, pray for the hearts of men and women that come, that God would speak to them, and that there will be healing transformation. Pray for the worship team. Pray for me, whoever's preaching up here, that there would be this collective, more intentional movement of prayer. Amen? You you hear what I'm saying? So so I just want you to not take that for granted, and I would love for our church to live out this core value of our church, which is that we are a church that prays and seeks God's heart, because apart from him, nothing is possible. So... If you can do that, and I just really would appreciate it. And part of this is, you know, like this morning, uh, as we've been talking about healing and God, healing and, and our lives and bringing about healing. Like last weekend, this morning, I don't know, we prayed for like 20 people maybe or more. And, and I t- I'm drained right now. You know, it's draining praying for people with cancer. It's draining for people with major illnesses and sicknesses. It's draining you know and i just sense after i was done prayer just walking around the back kind of in a you know kind of in a like a zombie like state i recognized wow i really really need our church to pray fervently for our gatherings on sundays no? So um, if you can, as you're sitting there, pray for me also because I have a feeling that our prayer time during communion and prayer for healing, it's going to be another really intense time. We've been talking about last two weeks this aspect of healing. We've been going through the book of Acts, and what we've done is Acts is a narrative. It's a story of the early church and the movement of the early church. But what we've done is we've, we've periodically sort of stopped, and we've done some theological, biblical work regarding certain things that we find. And so we've done, you know, two, three weeks just kind of parking ourselves instead of moving the book and, and asking, what does the Bible have to say about this and how does this apply to our lives? And one of the things that we've come across numerous times, actually, we just started, yes, uh, last week, kind of really addressing is healing. You read the book of Acts and you see the spirit of God and the, and, and the work of God demonstrated in healing, physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional other healing. What do we do about that? What do we do about that as a church? As I said last week, many of us come from various backgrounds in terms of how we approach healing. And the mistake that we make that I don't want us to make is that we interpret the Bible through our experiences rather than interpreting our experiences through the Bible. Big difference. Big difference. Okay? We are people of God's Word. We need to interpret our experiences through the Bible rather than interpreting the Bible through our experience. Do we do that, by the way? Do we, do we do that? Do we interpret the Bible through our experience? Anybody relate to that? Nod your head if you can. Yeah? Yeah? So the challenge is, how do we not do that? How do we, look, you know, this whole thing, and I haven't shared, you know, grandiose stories and stuff like that because I don't want it to be stories that will dictate sort of what we do. I don't want scripture, but I do want to share this. My own personal experiences. I've gone through experiences like uh, getting a call at 10 o'clock at night from uh, uh, one of our church members, the year one or two of our church early on, a young couple in our church. Mom was pregnant, was literally due to give birth two days after, you know, this phone call came, got a call saying the doctors can't find the heartbeat. And I remember hearing that and having a handful of people come over to our house and on our faces, bawling our eyes out, praying that God would heal, restore that baby. Baby didn't live. She gave birth to a stillborn child. I was there the next day, and we all wept as a church. And a year of grieving and just mourning. I've also experienced an uncle, my mom's younger brother, who had stage 4 lung cancer. People prayed, laid hands, prayed for him. Went back, hardly any trace of lung cancer. Living today, and you know, I wouldn't say stuff like this. You guys know me by now. But why do I not share those experiences and go, this is what God, because immediately those two experiences and you go, depending on where you come from, see, God can't heal. God doesn't heal or yes, God does. And I, w- I want us to do a, whoa, 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 pause, stop. What does the Bible have to say? And how do we approach this from the Bible? Okay. It's critical for us to do that this morning. Um, because the reality is, even as we approach this topic, the challenge for us is not allowing our experiences. And I'll say this one last time, one more quote, and then, and, then, and then I'm done. Um, some of us will, let me ask this way. How many of you believe that God heals today? God, God heals today. I mean, raise your hand, seriously. This is particip- okay, how many of you believe that God could heal anything today? Okay, all right, let me ask you. How many of you actively and intentionally And regularly pray for the sick. For people. That's why I'm preaching this sermon. God could heal, God wants to heal, but I don't pray. For the sick? I rarely pray for the sick. Well, why? You say you believe God could heal. You say you believe God does heal. Why? And, and a lot of times answers fall into these two categories because I've never personally seen it. So even though theoretically, conceptually, I believe it, I've never seen it. I've never personally experienced it. So yeah, I say I do, but I really don't. Or some of us, it's because of the abuses in the healing movement. Peter, you know, the guy with the big hair and the clothes slain in the spirit, and it's a scam. And I just, don't. and we just go, okay, but both of those say experience dictates what you think. Think about this. What does the Bible have to say? There's absolute danger interpreting our life through experiences rather than truth. There's absolute danger in doing that. You know, I prepared a little bulletin insert for you because there's tons of points today that I want to go over. And here's a quote that I begin that insert with you. If you read along with me or you refer to the screen, here's a quote from the book, Mystery of the Cross. Experience cannot be allowed to have the final word. It must be judged and shown up as deceptive and misleading The theology of the cross draws attention to the sheer unreliability of experience as a guide to the presence and activity of God. God is active and present in the world quite independently of whether we experience him and being so. Do you believe that? Experience declared that God was absent from Calvary only to have its verdict humiliatingly overturned on the third day. As with the cross, our darkest hour may be God's finest moment. It may be there that he does his greatest work, abide unseen to us. Thus, instead of letting our circumstances consume us, we are to be consumed with God. To that end, we pray, without ceasing, trust in his sovereignty and find comfort in his hope. Mystery of the cross. How many of y'all can relate to that Cole? Yeah, of course. Because here's the deal. Our experience says, God has forsaken me. God has abandoned me. Where is he? Truth tells us, Isaiah, I will never leave you nor forsake. How can you possibly believe in a good God? Look at this situation. It is silly to believe in a God who claims to be good. How could anything good, positive come out of this? Truth, Romans 8, for God works for the good of those who love and believe him. I've sinned, I've messed up. I feel absolute, utter condemnation, totally abandoned, distant from God. Romans chapter 8, truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I could go on and on. Experience... Life is like this. Are we people of experience or are we people of truth? This is the crux when we talk about healing because I don't, can I say this gently? I don't care what your experience says to you. I really don't. What I want to know is what do you think the scripture has to say and how then do you respond to that? Yeah? Okay. So let's begin here as we cover this massive topic. Why does God heal today? Why does God not heal today? And what? happens when god doesn't heal what do we do Uh, here's the theological here's the theological sort of big picture paradigm type of thing that undergirds all this so that y'all know some of you going did i walk into health wealth prosperity gospel church what is this talking about healing and stuff you need to know (laughs) we we could not be more far from or further from that you need to know here's the uh, theological underpinning it's the kingdom of god here's what the kingdom of god says okay Bible says that the way that God created the world, he created a world of perfection, shalom, peace, wholeness, without illness, sickness, death, or decay. And God says to his procreation, men and women, if you would choose to live under my rule and my reign, under my kingdom, you could live this life of shalom, perfect intimacy with me, each other, and the world. Man chooses, Genesis chapter 3, to come out under the rule and reign of God and decides that he is going to do his own thing. Along with that decision comes then chaos destruction, evil, injustice, sickness, and death. You following so far? Okay. The curse of Genesis three. Now what does God do? God doesn't say, well I'm gonna just clean it all up and start all over. I'm gonna just wipe everything on cloud. God doesn't say, well you've messed up, I'm gonna abandon you. What does God do? God says throughout the old testament, this is the mess of the Old Testament. I will send a Messiah who will come. As a suffering servant. And here's what he's going to do. He is not going to come and save your soul so you can go to heaven. He says he's going to, this is the primary work of Jesus, reestablish his rule and his reign over all of creation again. you got to understand that. He's going to reestablish his rule and his reign over all of creation in such a way that what God intended, and the effects of what God intended, will once again come into the world today. Under his rule and reign, under his rule and reign, God says, I will restore and renew all of creation. And yes, that includes salvation of your soul, but includes salvation physical restoration of all things. God says the kingdom is here, which means that you can experience it now, but the kingdom is yet to come, which means complete restoration, healing is yet to come. Jesus Christ says, this is the ministry that I came to do. And he didn't just talk. let Let me show you. Uh, This is from Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. In other words, they were wondering, are you the Messiah? Are you this guy that the Old Testament were talking about that is going to come and establish God's rule, God's reign over all the creation? Jesus says, yes, I am. And they go, how do we know? How do we know? Jesus doesn't say, well, tell them I forgive you for your sins. Tell them there's heaven waiting for you when I come back. What does Jesus say? let Verse five, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, my ministry is what God intended, which is I'm going to come to establish his rule and his reign, and the effects of that will be that there is this restoration and healing of all of creation. Okay? So the demonstration of the kingdom of God, Jesus, he casts out demons. And he says the kingdom of God is here. He heals the sick, and he says the kingdom of God is here. Why? By the way, real quick, I can't go into this deep today, but real quick. The reason why there's sometimes kind of a parallel between casting out of demons, and I know some of us think, of, whoa, whoa, about that, and then healing. Just real quick, casting out demons, healing. The Bible says that after the fall, after the fall, Satan Satan somehow arises as sort of the, 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 the ruler and reign and establishes sort of a pseudo kingdom over creation. That's why the Bible calls him the prince of the air, prince of this world, so on and so forth. Now, check this out. The effects of Satan kind of reigning and ruling temporarily in, 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 in this created water is evil. The result of his kingdom is injustice. The result of his kingdom is sickness. So on and so forth. So when Jesus comes and defeats Satan and conquers Satan once and for all on the cross, definitively, it wasn't just some cosmic battle between two deities. It was God saying, Not only am I defeating Satan, but I am overcoming his rule and his reign and establishing my rule. And my. Does that make sense? And the results of that being that there's healing, wholeness, so on. So that's why there's, listen. That's why Jesus says stuff like this all the time in the Gospels. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. There it is again. Drive out demons, cure disease, not two separate things. The two things that God is doing is establishes the rule and reign. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. You following so far? Okay. So the, so the theological underpinnings of why we believe that God heals today is not, you know, if you believe enough in faith and God wants... The underpinnings is that God has come to establish his rule and reign through Christ and his death and resurrection. And God began that, he inaugurated that, and when he rose again, and he's coming to fulfill that. Now, check this out. It is absolutely confusing to me that there are people in the church today who are active about social justice, who are all about justice of God and working to make a difference in systems and institutions, so on and so forth, right? And they fight evil and injustice, so on. Because they believe that the kingdom of God is here. He has come to rule and reign. And then I go, do you also uh, pray for the sick and actively, intentionally seek them out? Because, you know, your theology says that God has come to establish his rule and reign, restoring all things. How come you don't pray for the sick? How come you don't? Because you do believe that you know he reign, rule, restore all things, and you really work at that systems and justice. Why do you not pray then for the sick? Does that make sense? It's the same theological anchor that says God is here, He's going to come fulfill it later. In other words, those of you that are passionate about social justice, you know, working to rid our you know, systems of evil and justice, you should be the most passionate about praying for the sick. You should be the most passionate about praying for the sick. Because the very thing that motivates you is the same thing that should motivate you to pray for Does that make sense? Say yes. if you. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so we have a church full of people who are about the kingdom of God and justice of God. Well, as much as you fight to rid our city of gangs and so on and so forth, you are also an agent to go lay your hands on sick people and saying, do you want to get well? And you pray for them. You don't ever want to sit in front, do you? Ever again, Sorry. <laughs> I rubbed, yeah, it gets worse. I rubbed Michael's forehead this morning. We'll get to that a little bit later. I can't believe you're still sitting there this morning after what I did to you, Michael. Okay. What's that? you going to move when I do that? Okay, okay. Okay, guys, here's what I'm going to do. Listen, listen. I, it, it's, it was kind of challenging for me this morning because uh, literally there's like there's like 11 points, and this is like 11 sermons, all of these, and I can't go in-depth out of them. I'm going to hit on some of them real quick and move on, okay, because i got to pace myself because we have to answer the question, why does God heal? What does the Bible say? Why God doesn't heal? And when God doesn't heal, what do we do, okay? So first, why, do God, why does God heal today? One, say with me. Let's play, you know. This together, ready? God heals because he is asked to heal. Brilliant insight, right? The Bible says in the New Testament, why does God heal sometimes? Because uh, people asked him. Mark chapter seven, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went to Sidon, down to Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There's some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him, they asked him to place his hands on the man. And Jesus Heals him. The Bible sometimes gives no other reason for Jesus' healing than the fact that somebody said, "Um, will you heal me or her? Why is this uh, such a silly insight? Why do we not experience healing in our lives today and other people? Because we don't ask for it. I mean... And I know, I know, there are lots of reasons why we don't ask. You know, some of us are like, I've been asking for seven years and I got done asking, so I'm done. I don't ask anymore. Or I've never personally experienced it. Or I was at the conference and I saw that phony. Regardless of what the reasons are, what the Bible says is that he heals when we ask him. So here's the question. How often do you pray? When was the last time you prayed for God to heal you? And someone else when was the last time you intentionally sought god out and said god I believe that you are god of healing and so i ask and you know what here's the thing we are really good at ritualistic prayers for healing you know what that is is the god will you be with the doctors as they perform surgery god will you be with you know him as they take the medicine which is i'm not knocking that i'm not making fun of that but here's my question if you're willing to pray for the doctor in surgery why not pray that that cancer would be removed does that make any sense that we stop saying, God, I pray for the doctor's hand? You know what I mean? It's just cons- consistent. Why do we not ask? Uh, let me put up this quote. Uh, There's little nuggets under each point that I want to put. We will never ask God for anything you do not believe he can and will do. We will not ask God for anything that we believe he can and will not do. That's the why, reason why we say we, God could heal God. I think, does heal today, but I'm not practically going to to ask because theologically, I think I say I believe, but on a practical level, I don't pray because I don't think he can and will. I had somebody come up last week, and I can't get too much into this, who said, Peter, here's the reason why I don't pray for healing. She said, "Um, because I think this sickness, this illness, is my cross to bear. This is God's way of teaching me. Okay, let's just... We talked about suffering for two weeks. I'm going to be very careful. There are some forms of suffering, some forms of hardship. I do believe that God doesn't deliver people from because there is unknown to us some things that God wants to accomplish. But here's where I have problems with this when somebody says, from the very get go, without ever having prayed or sought God's heart, conclude, This is God's will for me. Does that make sense? It's one thing to say from the, from, oh, it's one thing to have him prayed, have others prayed, and, and have sought God's healing, and then come to a realization that maybe God doesn't want to heal. Maybe there is something here that God is already doing in my life. It's one thing to come to that conclusion after doing that, then saying from the very get go, no, this is a cross to bear. I need to. Because secondly, also I also have problems with the fact that when people do that, the very same people, they go see doctors, they take medication, they do everything possible to be healed. So I'm going, okay, so on one hand you're saying, this is God's, well, but you won't pray for healing, but then you're doing everything to, does that make sense? So where are you today? Where are you today in this? God says he heals Sometimes just because we ask to heal. Secondly, secondly, moving on. God heals out of compassion and mercy. And this this is really, 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 really important. God heals out of compassion and mercy. Um, One of the things that I experience, I'm married to a pediatrician and I'm also a doctor. One of the things that I experience a lot are women who lose pregnancies. So one of the most difficult things, most difficult things as a pastor is to counsel people. Especially when some people have multiple times in which they lose multiple pregnancies. But the thing that has astounded me, you guys, is when I talk to somebody, I talk to a woman, and, and, and she's grieving and mourning at this, and, and, and she's gone through enormous physical pain, emotional pain, so on and so forth, and I hear this so often. I hear from the woman, says, it's not my physical pain. It was an emotional thing. You know what the worst part of all this is? worst part of all this is losing that child. And as a, as a man who doesn't quite understand as much. In my ignorance, I'm going. But that baby, I mean, it, it, it brought an enormous amount of pain and possibly even danger to your physical body. And you said the worst thing that could happen to you is that child, losing that child. Let me introduce you to a Hebrew word. It's the word raham. Raham literally means in Hebrew, womb. W-O-M-B, womb. Every time in the Old Testament, it talks about God's compassion, the Hebrew writers was the word Raham. The Hebrew writers had the audacity to say, well, you want to know what God's compassion is like? Let me tell you, it's like a womb for a mother. You know how when you see a mother and, and, and this baby, this the baby inside a the child, there is this sense of irrational love that says, "I don't care what happens to my body; I care about the child." There is this irrational thing that erupts from the mo- from from the mother. The Bible says in the Old Testament, "When you think God's compassion, think that, think that." When you think God's compassion and mercy in the Bible, think that. Think of that mother and the womb and the eruption of irrational love and emotion for that child. Don't you dare tell me that God doesn't care. And we'll go into this. We may not know sovereign mystery, sovereign timing, why God sometimes doesn't. But the Bible is very clear. When he sees the sick, when he sees the ill, when he sees the dying, God is physically in his soul, I believe, and His being moved. Um, mm. Compassion. Mm. Interesting enough, in the New Testament... Word for compassion, splachna in the Greek, intestines, stomach. Again, similar thing. Let me show you a passage. Mark chapter 1 verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. There's a word that theologians have come up with. I know they're trying to explain God's word, impassibility. Does anybody know what that means? Impassibility. It's a a concept of an emotionless God, that he's beyond emotions, that he's unmoved. Let me tell you what happened, I think, in the New Testament. When Jesus came across the leper and the leper reached out, I think there was literally a physical sensation in the being of Jesus. I think he literally had a physical sensation at the bottom of his soul, I think Jesus walked the dusty roads of Palestine and every time he saw the sick and the ill and the dying, there was a physical, a physical response. Boom, spark, now, compassion. When some people try and tell me that God no longer heals today, I seriously want to ask them, you don't believe that God heals today? Let me ask you something. Do you no longer believe that God is moved with compassion today? Does God no longer care about that? son or daughter, who is sitting in the hospital bed watching their parents die of cancer? Does God no longer care? Does God no longer care about a mother who has given birth to her second miscarriage and is absolutely mourning? Do you tell me that God doesn't care? See, maybe, maybe it's not God who's changed. Maybe it's the church that's changed. little nugget here before we move on. To the degree that you could enter into his compassion for the sick and for the hurting, you can be a vessel through whom the healing power of Jesus can flow. Let me make this very clear. You're somebody that you want God to use you to pray for people and for God to perhaps use you to heal people. If your motivation is, hey, you want to see something spectacular? Hey, you want to see something really cool? Or your motivation is, let me show you theologically and biblically why I believe what I believe. So either, if that's your motivation, I think you're going to see rarely healing occurring, God using you to bring healing in other people's lives. But if you genuinely be used by God, here's what I want some of you to pray for. And I pray for this a while. I said, God, I want you to enlarge my heart heart. My heart is pretty small right now God. Because when I see the sick, when I see the hurting, when I see those who are devastated my heart doesn't respond. It's not broken to the extent this morning as David is talking about 40 people in the Chicago public system kids that have been killed God. My heart doesn't feel the oh. enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart. God my heart is pretty hard right now. It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. I don't feel I don't feel what you feel. God, soften my heart. If you're somebody that wants to be used by God, I dare you, I dare you to go before God and say, God, break and soften my heart that I can enter into genuine, genuine, genuine compassion for those who are hurting. I wonder what would happen to our church if we had more men and women who pray that prayer. Third, why does God heal today? God heals to glorify himself and his son. God heals to glorify himself and his son. Sometimes a stated purpose, and flat out, the Bible says in the New Testament, this is why God heals, so that God will be glorified. Example is Lazarus in chapter 11, verse 4. When, God, when Jesus brought him from the dead, he said, verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness... That Lazarus will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. God makes it clear over and over. In New Testament, Jesus, cle- Jesus heals. Why? Ultimately, so that God would be brought glory and his, his famous name will be brought forth. And sometimes, actually, not only did you just intend that, but sometimes this is literally what happened as a result of healing. The response wasn't one of people going, woo that was pretty cool. The response was one of people bowing and saying, praise God, glorify God. He's huge. He's big. Example, Matthew chapter 15, verse 30, great crowds came to him, bringing him the lame, the man and the crippled, the mute and many others and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed and listen to the result. They praised the God of Israel. Let me ask you something. Has God always been about his glory from the very beginning of time? Yes. Has that changed? I think as long as that doesn't change and I have a feeling it doesn't change even way into eternity. And God's about his glory and his fame. I think we can believe that God desires to heal so that he would ultimately be glorified. He would ultimately be glorified. Uh, let me just practically say implications. It's one of the most common hindrances to healing in the church. Say Why don't we experience healing? And I shared this last week. Is because we're not really about God's glory. We're about our glory. And one of the ways that that happens, manifests itself, is we're afraid of how stupid and foolish we'll look when we pray for people and they don't get healed. Anybody? Anybody struggle with that? Yeah, yeah, I struggle with that big time. Let me give you an extreme example of how I struggle with that, and I still struggle with it. 19 years old, I'm in Africa, walking down Nairobi, Kenya. Before we went to Nairobi, Kenya, we were told in the city that there was this famous man who had been an invalid all of his life, and he sat at this corner in one of the downtown square, right? So, um, you know, I was young and naive, but sometimes it's good to be young and naive, amen, you know, because you believe that God... I mean, somebody once said this I don't know I, somebody once said if you lock a brand new Christian in a room and give him a Bible that person will never come back thinking God doesn't do that today <laughs> just throwing it out there that's where I was young Christian read the Bible why not so I got up that morning and I told a couple of my friends you know what you know what You know what? here's what I'm going to do I'm going to walk down the street I'm going to walk down the street I'm going to look at that man in the face and say Jesus name in Jesus Christ he heals you get up and walk just like the Bible so my friends go okay very cool <laughs> Said, all right then we're gonna do it all right so we get up we got on our bus we're going ministry bus parks right our whole team gets out right and in the bus i'm going yes lord you're gonna do it yes lord i get out of the bus as soon as i stop out of the bus all of a sudden my faith from up here slowly each step i'm getting weaker i'm getting more anxious i'm getting more frustrated i'm getting more right each every step of the way right and my friends of course gracious friends are walking alongside me going i can't wait you know so I'm walking, I'm walking, and I'm literally like sweating. I'm getting nervous. My hand, you know, my palms are getting sweaty. It's like, I don't want to look stupid, but then I don't believe it. I don't believe God's going to heal. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to That whole thing's is my mind. So what do I do? We're walking, we're walking, we're walking. We come to the corner, a few steps. We're walking, we're walking, walking. I looked at him, took out some money, put it in and said, God bless you. And I walked right past. If you ask me today, why did you do that? Why did you not pray for him? It wasn't because I lacked faith, although I think that was a part of the reason. You know why I didn't, to be completely honest? Because I was absolutely deathly scared of how stupid I was going to look when I said, in Jesus' name, get up and walk. And for him to go, what? It still affects me today. I'm preaching this message, and I pray for 20-some people today, this morning, but I can't tell you how often I struggle with when people say, will you pray for me? And you got you to know. I'm not a faith healer. I don't even think I have a spiritual gift. None of those things. Because I believe that God sometimes uses people apart. I don't. I just obey and pray for people. But even to this day, when somebody comes and says, pray for me, I'm okay doing it. But it's hard for me to go up to people and say, can I pray for you? Because I'm afraid that I'm going to look stupid when God doesn't answer their prayer. Check this out, though. You know what I learned from the Bible? God's okay with me looking stupid. I shared this last week. God's okay with me looking stupid. Really, he is. He is. He allowed his son to look foolish in the eyes of the world. He allowed his apostles to look foolish. So high on the list of God on why he heals and he doesn't is not, is Peter going to look good? Or is Peter going to look stupid? You know what I mean? So he doesn't say, well, I think I'm going to heal him today because Peter is praying for him. And after all, I don't want Peter to look bad. God says, I heal, not heal. For whose glory? Say whose glory? God's glory. It's not about me. It's not about me. And to the degree that I come to grips with the fact that it's not about my glory, my name, my fame, to the degree I come to grips with the fact that it's about God's glory, God's, and God's fame, to the degree I could be humble and pray, and when God doesn't heal, it's okay. Because, here's the thing, let me put up the next thing. If we won't take the credit when someone gets healed, then you don't have to take the blame when they don't. And that'll totally free you up. That'll totally free you up. To pray for people and say, can I pray for you? Sure. After you pray for them, do you feel better? No, not really. Well, we'll pray again. And I don't have to walk away going, oh, I look so stupid. He probably thinks I lack faith. And I was I just simply go, no, Lord, perfect will. It's about God's glory, not ours. And for some of you, maybe not a lot of you, that struggle with this, as I do, make it a habit to say, God, it's about your glory, not mine. It's about your glory, not mine. It's about your glory, your name, your fame not mine not mine not mine simply want to be obedient okay ah we got to move numbers number what what number are we on michael number Four, okay. God heals in response to faith. Okay, God heals in response to faith. Gotta move, gotta move. Matthew chapter nine, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched the eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. New Testament clearly teaches that God responds in response to faith. Faith in what? Listen very carefully. Not faith in faith for healing. But faith in God's ability to heal. Can you put up the next thing? Can I correct some error and bad theology I think that's rampant maybe in the church sometimes? It is absolutely biblical to say that healing requires faith. New Testament is clear on that. Healing requires faith to believe that God is able to heal. That's absolutely, but to say that faith requires healing, is that true? Is that true, church? Faith requires healing. No, that is a destructive, toxic theology. Faith requires healing sort of has this presumption, assumption that if I have enough faith, I pray the right prayer, I pray long enough, hard enough, I'm at the right conference, blah, 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 that God would answer. He has to answer. He is obligated to answer. Look at what Jesus said in regards to this Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1, when he came down from the a large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him man and said, I'm willing. He said, be clean. In some theological circles, you will never hear this. To say, it's okay to say if you're willing. Why? Because if you say, Lord, if you're willing, that just denotes lack of faith. You don't want to go there. That means you just don't have enough faith. So don't even include that. Why even say if you're willing? Because that just shows that you're weak in your faith. Jesus says, It is perfectly legitimate to say, Lord, if you're willing. Because it doesn't denote lack of faith to say if you're willing. The leper completely believes that God is able to heal. He could heal, but his willingness to say, Lord, if you're willing, means that he's not about his agenda. He's about whose agenda? God's agenda. Oh, that's hard. See? That's hard for healing. And I say this gently because for some of us, it's really hard to hear. Sometimes the way we respond when God doesn't answer shows us that maybe we're not really after God's agenda, even if that is unfathomable and hard to understand why God would. But it's really more about our agenda. Can I tell you another thing why this theology is destructive in the church? Because when you teach that faith requires healing, it puts the burden on who for healing? On the person. Do you realize that? think of the burden on the person that wants to be healed when it's in faith because, so the person says okay so in order for me to be healed if the burden falls on me that means I have to have a psychological certainty which the Bible doesn't require at all a psychological certainty that God will do this and so all of a sudden you got to whip yourself up into some psychological frenzy to believe and the Bible says the burden doesn't fall on you the burden falls on who? on God and his sovereign will it's not up to you the reason why I react violently against the whole faith requires healing theology is because it's another form of religion. If you do the right thing, if you say the right prayer, if you're da 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 da, then the blessings of God will come. If the blessings of God don't come, it means you didn't do an upright. And I just want to go, where do you see that in the Bible? In the Bible. <laughs> Can you tell that I feel very strongly about the whole faith healing movement? Can you tell? Can you tell? Okay. I don't want to just knock on them. I'm just saying, like, there's some parts we just got to be careful about. And I'll read you a phenomenal story at the end of how how somebody almost was just like literally just destroyed beyond repair by being told by people you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. I just want to go tell me who that is so I can choke them. And then we pray for healing and they'll be okay. You know what I'm saying? You accomplish both, you know? oh, pathology, oh, chill, Jesus, no, (laughs) anyone. Michael, where am I? Are you paying attention? Okay, yeah, let me just, okay. Let's just go on, five. God heals in response to his own promises, okay? God heals in response. James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is another passage that I think is often misunderstood. 5.13. Is there any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Well, let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him. Let me stop there. Can I also correct one of the other... (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to have to have an imaginary friend, Michael, okay? I'm going to have to call on my imaginary friend, Tim. Um, it's hard for me and frustrating when people in our church get hurt because they're sick or they're ill, and they feel like they're not cared for. And they leave the church or get mad, and I go... We didn't even know. Do you know what the New Testament says in terms of the how of healing? Read that again, will you? If any of you sick, say it with me, ready? He should call the elders of the church. Who is the responsibility, fall on, to let people know that they're ill and sick? I don't have a magic crystal ball in my office that says every time somebody is sick, Sarah is sick. I don't. You know how I know? You know how I find out? Somebody gets enough courage to tell their friend and their community group leaders, or they write on a card and say, Someone's sick. And you know what? Every person who says, I'm sick, will pray for me, gets prayed by our staff, by our prayer team, and everybody. Do you know that? We love to pray for you. But how can we pray for you when you will not let us know who you are? And then, secondly, Sick, he should call the elders of the church and pray over him and own him with a I Check this out. Check this out. <clears throat> but you thought I can't move, Michael? I mean, good God. <laughs> You're so silly, man. Okay. Guys, I I just, know. I just, this is not, this is not like a small insight. I just, medical professional, how many of you guys, medical professionals, raise your hand. Those of you in field of medicine, nurses, doctors, raise your hands, okay? Okay, there's some medical students. I want to give you a shout out this morning. That passage is misunderstood a ton because here's what people think. There's two words for anoint in the New Testament, okay? One is used in the sense of consecrate, like for a king or a priest, anoint, right? So it's called ceremonial anointing. The other is a very practical term that literally means to rub some oil. Okay, So you know what I'm saying? I'm saying somebody is sick. Just take some oil. And just kinda, just kinda, you just kind of, you just kind of, you just kind of rub it. Just kind of, you just kind of rub. So, in other words, when you come and you know, churches have the oil thing. There is a superstitious thing like, oh, the oil that must you know, the oil literally. Literally, what what, what James is saying is this: the way for healing in the church, in the churches, have people pray. Absolutely right. Secondly. Get some medical help. Yeah. And I know this sounds so silly to some of you going, why do you even need to say that? Here's why I need to say that. Medicine is a gift from God. Amen. Amen. Men and women who are in the field of medicine are a gift from God that God uses hello to bring healing sometimes. So, where in the world do we get the theology says doctors? No, medicine, no. I mean, it's completely not biblical. Luke was a doctor. By the way, interesting, this word, you know what else appears? In Luke chapter 9, remember the Samaritan? I remember the Samaritan? You going, which one? Okay? <laughs> <laughs> the Samaritan that helped the guy on the road to Jericho, that was like, do you remember? In that text, when he helped him, the Bible says he rubbed some oil in terms of ointment healing. That's the same word that appears in James. Okay? So there is no superstitious, like if you anoint somebody with oil, that oil means something. I feel a burning sensation in my, You feel a burning sensation. I, I'm not knocking. Oh, man, I got to be so careful. If you're sick, go see a doctor. Okay? All right. And, and have people pray for you. Okay. Oh, one other thing. Can I say one other thing? In behalf of doctors and nurses in and, and our church, can I just say this? So, Peter, will you please make sure and say this? They said, we have no sympathy for people who are sick and who are ill because they don't take care of their bodies and will not listen to doctors or follow orders. And they're sitting there complaining about the fact that they're sick all the time and not so on and so forth. I said, will you please remind them? Please remind them that as a Christian, as a Christian, that we have the responsibility to make sure. I'll just leave it there, okay? I'll just leave it there. All right. In the name of the Lord, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I love, 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 love this passage because it's saying it's not just the elders and the leaders and the pastors. What does the Bible say? Pray for what? Say it with me. Pray for what? Each other. The Bible says this ought to be going on all the time. Each other. Are you sick? Are you okay? You don't feel, can I pray for you each other so that you may be healed? And here's the wonderful thing. The point God heals in, in accordance with his promises. Why in the world would God say to the church? Why in the world would God put this in scripture? You pray for each other. So that when you pray for each other you would be healed. Why would God give that promise in scripture? That as you pray for each other we will experience healing in his name. If God had no intention whatsoever of answering that prayer. Does that make sense? God says do it. Pray for each other so you may be healed. May not heal all the time. May not experience healing all the time. But here's the thing that I want to say, and then we're done here, and then we'll move on to the hard question of why God doesn't heal. I think if the whole church were to take God's commands in James 5.14 more seriously, we would see a great deal more healing than we see today. Amen? Amen? Amen. (laughs) if we took this seriously, I know. See, Byron, it's hard. See, there are people going, I still don't believe that God heals, so whatever you say, okay? So for those of you, now you're really excited, because I'm going to talk about why God doesn't heal. You're going, no, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Here's why God doesn't heal, okay? Don't get so excited. Here's why God doesn't heal, and then we're going to spend some time praying, okay? First is unbelief, and I'm going to be real quick about these things, because I want to get to the story. Unbelief, Mark chapter 6, verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. We said last week that Matthew takes a step further in Matthew 13 when he says that Jesus did not do, same scenario, did not do any miracles in his hometown because people are saying, isn't he a Joseph's boy? And, and yeah, a cart, carpenter? And Jesus says, a prophet is not welcome to his hometown. That's the setting. Here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, Jesus is saying, not, it's not talking about God, I... I lack faith. I need you to believe God because I want to see you work in our church working. That's not what it's talking about. It is an attitude that says, God doesn't heal today. I don't believe that's that's a bunch of bogus. So why even bother praying? An attitude, an atmosphere of that kind of unbelief, Jesus says, not gonna see healing. Not gonna see healing. Second reason why God doesn't heal is limitations placed on God limitations placed on God. This is a, this is a kind of a, a sub point, but I made an entire point of unbelief. Mark chapter 9 verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, look, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, but if he can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my belief. Here's what Jesus was saying to this father, okay? By the way, the background of this story is, remember, he brings his demonized son, and the disciples are trying to pray and cast the demons out, heal him. They can't. Jesus shows up and goes, "Ah, unbelieving generation. That's the text. Jesus says to the father, don't put any limits on what God can do. That's literally what he's saying. When the father says, if you can, and Jesus goes, if you can, everything is possible. Jesus isn't giving some, you know, some, some sacrif- some, some, some superficial, just uh, name and claim it problem. Jesus is literally saying, look, at the foundation of faithful believing is this. God doesn't want you to put limits on what God can do. So here's my question to you. Why do we put limits then on what God can do? Here's how we do that. You ready? Just a couple. Here's how we put limits on God. How many of you all pray for and are willing to pray for trivial illnesses? Like when somebody says, I have a headache. Can you pray for me? No problem. God, we pray that the headache. How many of you go, oh, you know what? Can you pray for me? I'm going to the surgery. Pray that the doctors. Okay, I can certainly pray for you. Pray for... Somebody comes in and says, my father has cancer. He's got two days to live. We need a miracle. Will you pray? A headache, that's one thing cancer Somebody comes and says, I'm going to serious surgery and I might not come out alive, so will you pray? Yeah, I can pray for, so we pray for the hands of doctors and nurses, which is perfectly biblical, like I said, we do that, and God wants us to do that. But why do we limit God that he can do that and then not others? Here's another example, I limit God. In this financial time, it's amazing how hear stories like this. Somebody comes up to me and says, Pastor Peter, I needed $400 to pay my rent and pay the bills this month, and I had no, no, I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't tell anybody. I prayed that God would, how many of you guys have heard stories like that from friends, right? And God, there was a check in the mail. How much was it for? For 400. Like you hear, I hear stories like that, right? And they go, and I'm going, you believe that God could work like that financially? And you limit God when it comes to his ability to heal? Guys, does that make sense? So my question to you is pretty hard, but are we limiting God? Are we effectively limiting God, but the way we pray or how we pray or who we pray for here's the thing today as i pray for people three people came up and they said peter can you pray this for me as i pray and so what is it they said can you pray for my unbelief and i almost started weeping i'm like oh, can you pray for my unbelief and i encouraged them i said this i said do you know what here's the wonderful thing you're ready here's a wonderful thing i said are you a follower of jesus yes i am i said do you think the faith that you have to believe that he died and rose again was something that you came up with? No. Was that faith a gift? Yeah. Maybe the faith to believe in healing is also a gift that God will give. And that's something you manufacture. So it's perfectly appropriate to pray, God, help my unbelief. Three. Unconfessed sin. After this, I have one more. I'm going to share a story. We'll call it a day. James says in chapter 5, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that. I got to say this, okay, guys? This is hard. I got to say this is hard. Some illnesses and sicknesses, some, is a result of sin. It is absolutely unbiblical and toxic and destructive to say all sickness, all illness is a result of sin. What are you doing wrong? Okay? That's life in the pit of hell. But the Bible says also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, some of you are sick, Paul says. Some of you are weak. Some of you are asleep, which is they've literally died because of sins in your life. When people come up for healing, one of the first questions I'll ask you, and I may do this to you today, is this. Do you have any unconfessed sins in your life? Because there's unconfessed sins in your life, then there's no praying and asking God for healing. Let's deal with that first. Somebody asked, how does that work, like unconfessed sin? And I said, okay, well, I don't think it's very mysterious. Let me just ask this question. How many have ever dealt with or have seen people deal with the effects of guilt and prolonged guilt for a long time? Anybody? What does guilt do to a person? I've seen people dealing with guilt because of mistake. What's that? It destroyed. It de- I have seen people, okay? I've, literally, I've seen people over a course of weeks and months go from somebody full of life, full of joy, and this guilt starts becoming poisonous, toxic to their soul. It just starts eating them up. Um, I don't mean to be all like you today, but I need to say this to some of you today. I'm not saying that you're sick and ill because of, but some of you, literally, you have allowed guilt in your soul in your life without repenting it to eat away at your soul and it's becoming toxic. The great news, the Bible doesn't make a big deal in saying, so the Bible simply says, confess your sins so that you may be healed. Make it a daily habit. If you say something that offends somebody and you know you offended them, go and say, I'm sorry. Say it. You do something that's hurtful, destructive to somebody and you know that person's hurt, seek them out right away and say, I'm sorry. You've got sins in your life that you're dealing with on a cyclical basis, you know, over and over again. Find people that you can be accountable with share with them and say, I've been dealing with this sin over and over again. Will you keep me accountable and deal with it right away? Do not allow the toxic, Nature of guilt in your soul to remain unconfessed. Number four, I what this, this is hard sovereign timing and sovereign mysteries. Um, there's a passage in John 5. Um, who's playing the piano? Uni, will you come on up? We're almost done. John 5. This is a story that you might be familiar with, okay? Now there's in Jerusalem near Sheepgate a pool, which is Air Mary called Bethesda which is surrounded by five colored colon- covered colonies. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And some of you know, and I've shared this before, here's what's going on. There's this pool, there's this pool, and ancient myth said that an angel of the Lord would come and stir this pool, and whoever was the first one to jump in the pool would get healed. That was kind of what they believed. So this, imagine the scene of, paralytic those who have an invalid those who are blind those who are lame i mean this is like an ancient hospital where people are just sitting outside of this pool waiting for the waters to be stirred jesus shows up on the scene verse five one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years when jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time he asked him say it with me what does he ask him say it with me ready you wait, wait. Do you want to get, do you know why I think that was very powerful for me? Because first, when I read it, I go, that's kind of odd. Why would Jesus even ask somebody, do you want to get well? Do you know why? In all of my years of pastoral ministry, some people don't want to get well. You know why? Just my pastoral little, you know. For some people, their sickness has been so tied to their identity that they're afraid of the changes that will need to take place if they got well. So literally, they don't want to get well. I know for some of you going, that's crazy. Okay, let me give you another example then. Not physical. What about emotional? There's some people who've experienced some severe brokenness and issues in their lives. And literally, I had somebody come up to me today, and you know what their prayer was? Pastor Peter, you need to pray for me. Why? She's like, I have no identity of who I am in Christ. Who I believe I am is all the lies that the enemy has told me, the world has told me. I need healing. Some people don't want to get well because they're afraid of the changes that will take place. And that's another lie from the enemy. So when somebody comes up for prayer, I go, do you want to get well? Because I want to make sure that you know that what's going to happen might mean changes. Verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus says to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now here's the thing about this passage that I've wrestled with and some of you wrestled with. Notice that after he heals this man, after he heals this man, what does he do? Or what does he not do more precisely? No one else gets... Nobody else gets healed. One person. And see, now we've come to the crux, isn't it? Now we've come to the crux of what this means for us. Nobody else gets healed. And for some of us to sit there going, sovereign timing, sovereign mysteries, I get it. He's God, I'm not, whatever. And I'm okay with that. Not a cop-out, I'm okay with that. And then majority of us, including me this morning, says, No! That ain't right. Other passages, Jesus used to, you healed them all. You healed all of them. Why in the world would you not heal everybody else and just heal one? Jesus gives an answer, actually. Not of why he only healed one, but even a more important answer that governed his whole philosophy and ministry. Verse 16 He's in a debate right after that healing because he healed on Sabbath with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In verse 16 he says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this day and I too am working. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And I need you guys to look up here and pay very, very careful attention. Please, please, please. There are two things here that are absolutely critical for us understanding the will of God in all this. Number one, notice. When Jesus says, I can only do what the Father is doing, notice first and foremost that Jesus heals. Why is Jesus healing? Because the Father is healing. The question of does God care? Does God desire to heal? Does God want to heal? Does God heal? Today has been answered. Father heals, Jesus heals. But check this out. Only one person gets healed. Why? God the Father, that day, was only healing one person. That's why Jesus only heals one person. Here's Jesus, the entire foundation of life and ministry. I could only do what the Father is doing. When he moves, I move. When he says go, I go. When he says heal that person, I heal. My entire life. Now, here's the thing I realized this week. I sat there and going, well, Jesus, it's easy for you to seek your will, God's will, and not your will for other people. It's not all that hard for me to go, I wonder who is sick and who can I pray for? Okay, God, what are you doing? Who are you healing? And pray. It's another thing to say, Father, your will, not mine, when I am sick. Did Jesus ever face and encounter a time when he said, not my will, but yours be done? Ah. Uh, and you need, to, you need to hear this, you, you need to, you need to please please, please hear this. Jesus the Son of God that governed his entire life in ministry as he healed at the pool, one person, His father was healing one person. Jesus, the day before, night before he used to be crucified, he is staring at the cross, he is staring at the cross, he is staring at the cross. He's staring at the darkest, the darkest moment in his life, the darkest moment in all of his ministry. And he doesn't have now the ability to go, Father, I seek your will for the, no, this is about him. This is about him and submission of his will, his will under the Father's will. And what does Jesus pray? What does Jesus pray? You need to listen to this. Jesus says, Father, take this cup, take this cup from me. So if you are sitting there and says, does Jesus ever know what it's like to not have his prayers answered? He actually does. He says, take this cup from me. His prayer is not answered. Why? Because right after he says, but not my will, but yours be done. What kept him up on the cross, you need to understand, it's not some divine powers of him in God. What kept him up on the cross was absolute, resolute, unchanging belief and confidence that God is who he says he is. And he submitted himself, the son of God, in unanswered prayer. God's sovereign timing, sovereign mysteries, not my will, but yours be done immediately when somebody says see that's why I'm not a christian that's why I don't want to be a christian cuz I don't like that about god I want to understand why he's doing I want to know why he does what he does I want him to explain I want a rationale that would make sense in my mind of why he does what he does and I gently pastorally say to those people then let me ask you a question you're looking for a god that you could understand you're looking for a god who's signing time and mysteries is fully understandable to your intellect and your mind you're looking for a god who will explain himself to you and i say to that person that kind of a god is is not worthy of your worship. Because that kind of a God could never say to you and me, give your life to me. I, I want to I read you a, 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 a story and we're done here. Uh, how many of you guys don't know Edith? Edith Nishmerheisen who had a baby this uh, past week? Woo-hoo, Edith. Edith. <laughs> Man, that baby was a week and a half late in coming. I mean, she was like out to here last week, you know. She came up for a prayer, she's like, Please, can you pray for me? And the first thing I said is, In Jesus' name, come out. Finally, <laughs> Heather, baby, a year and a half ago, we prayed for healing for people. You know, a year and a half ago, Edith walked out with just bawling tears, bawling. A year and a half, she said, Pastor Peter, can you pray for me? I said, What? She's like, I've lost complete hearing in this ear. And there is this, this, this loud, unbearable ringing in my ear. And she's like, I'm scared to death. Can you pray for me? I pray for healing. Nothing happened. That's a year and a half ago. She sent this email giving us an update of where she is today. When I woke up on the morning of June, January 25th, 2008, I lost all hearing in my right ear. I opened my eyes and it was gone. All that was left is a persistent ringing created by my brain in an attempt to replace the sound that my ear is unable to hear. I guess my brain is trying to make sense of the chaos. I had to see three doctors before I got a diagnosis. SSHL, sudden sensory neural hearing loss. Causes hard to determine, most likely a viral infection. The sad thing is I don't even remember being sick in the weeks preceding the hearing loss. I was 29 at the time it happened. I pray for healing. My family, friends, and church family pray for healing. As I prayed, I continue to seek for medical answers or cure. I tried everything, oral steroids, histamine shots, and steroid shots applied directly to my eardrum. Nothing worked. I have permanently lost hearing on my right ear and was left with the permanent ringing. Sometimes I think that I could deal with this much better if only the ringing would stop. I prayed for so much, so hard. I cried out to God asking for healing. He answered my prayer in an unexpected way. He said no. It was hard to hear people saying that I had to have faith and that God would restore my hearing. I had faith. I believed that God would heal me, yet he chose not to. I remember clearly praying, God, show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory, Exodus 3. I thought that to see his glory meant that my hearing would be restored, that just as suddenly as the sound left me, it would come back. Today, I realized that he showed me his glory and I missed it. I was so sure that I knew how it would look. You know, glory equals healing. That it walked right past me without me seeing it. See, Peter, I was so angry and so depressed for so long. I wouldn't admit it because I felt guilty for being angry. By the way, if you're angry, don't be guilty for feeling angry. God could handle your anger. I kept repeating the right things, you know. I accept his will, you know. He he knew better than I did, and, and I'd find purpose in it all. I didn't believe any of those things. She's so honest. And yet I felt that I had to tell it to myself and those around me. I felt my strength as a Christian was measured by my ability to move on with grace, to continue smiling. It was not until a year later, as I talked to a family member, that I let God start the healing. Listen to this. I realized that while God said no to getting my hearing back, here's how he said yes. I was able to experience love and care for those who love me, the community of friends and family that I cherish. And through each and every one of them, God has showed me His glory. And as I read that, I thought about a couple other emails of people who said similar things. I just want to share with you. This is kind of, you know, somebody else, and then I'll come back to Edith. There was one person who said, for the past two years, some friends and I have prayed for a severely retarded child. He has shown no improvement to date. But during our visits to him, we come in contact with his immediate family and extended family. And the result of that is that 14 of them have come to know and follow Jesus. I know the cynical side of us says whatever but he still didn't experience healing here's another one you ready my goddaughter Jessica is deaf it has never occurred to me that her condition is God's will or that I should stop praying that he heal her I do at the same time though her parents as a result of her illness have been thrust into the subculture of the deaf community and it has opened up fruitful ministry for them that they otherwise would not have back to Edith I still don't know why it happened I can't say that I've gained deeper knowledge of God or spiritual insight. I may never find purpose in my hearing loss. All I can say is that I've been broken and humbled by his power. And I've come to the realization that it should be enough for me to know that God knows what he's doing even when I don't. And then she says the last thing that brings joy to my heart as a pastor because she's paying attention on Sunday. She says this. She says, today I know that I should rest assured that my body will be restored on his day of resurrection and return. And that knowledge is what gives me hope. Edith is saying what I've been saying all along, which is my ultimate hope. And there's a quote at the end of the bulletin. You can look at the insert. At the end of the day, our hope is not just that we will pray for healing and seek glimpses of God's healing and restoration and believe on that. But our hope also rests in the fact that what we are not able to experience in this life and lose in this life, the Bible says at the end, is not just consolation from God. Where God kind of says, they're there. Wasn't it hard? But what comes at the end is Restoration restoration, restoration. And the restoration means that everything that we lost in this life will be able to experience in that much more greater, that much more powerful, that much more joyous fashion for having lost it in the first place. That what awaits us at the end is not just God saying, well, now you're with me. What awaits us at the end is God saying, here's the life you've always wanted. I'm with this. um, There's a young lady in our church who's been wrestling with just terrible migraine headaches and she's prayed without any answers and healing. She sent an email that was just so powerful in terms of this hope that awaits us. She said, Pastor Peter, I'm not from Chicago, I'm from somewhere else. So during this winter, remember that short span of time when we had warm weather and sun during winter? You remember that? She said, <laughs> she's so theologically profound without realizing it. She goes, there were some people in Chicago who said sun, warm, ah, it's going to get cold and dark again. It's just Chicago. (laughs) Great. You're a Bible-believing Christian. All right. And then there are other people, though, and she said this. She said, but you know what it did for me? Brief moment of sun and warmth reminded me. Spring is coming. Warmth, sun is coming. How do we know? He died. He rose. And he lives today. Father, we come today, this morning, and we pray. Father, as we are about to take communion... I pray, help my unbelief. God, help my unbelief. If there's anybody else here, Lord, for whom, whether it be their illness, their sickness, or, or other, for others, Father, it, it, perhaps it's our prayer. God, I believe, help my unbelief. God of compassion, God of mercy, God of glory. You have answered definitively the question, God, whether you're able to hear, whether you're willing to heal, God and you challenge us, you ask us to seek it, to desire it, to want it, and to believe in faith for it, God. At the same time, trusting, yielding, and submitting ourselves to you. We're going to take communion, and what we're going to do is I'm going to have some of the pastoral staff as well as some folks from our congregation stand up front to pray with you and to pray for you. Please, 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 regardless how trivial you think it is, how serious you think it is, if there's an illness, sickness that you are struggling with, illness, sickness that you know somebody else is struggling with, come up. Don't let this Sunday, don't let this moment pass without praying. Come up, pray with us. We would love, 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 love to pray with you, pray for you. And if you feel like, you know what, I've got no faith to believe this. I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to. And yet you have friends or family that came with. Will you turn to them and say, you know what, I have no strength, no desire. Will you come up with me? Come up with me. I had two people do that today. Come up with me and pray for me on my behalf. Pray with me on my behalf because I just don't have any strength or faith to believe. I want to welcome you to do that as well. And for all of us, before you do, take seriously to heart. Confess your sins. Will you spend some time doing that and making sure your heart is where it needs to be with the Lord before you take the elements? And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke and he said, this is my body that was broken for you. So that in me, you can be made whole. This is the blood of Christ that was shed. Blood that symbolizes his new covenant that we are forgiven and accepted and embraced not by our effort, but by his grace. You don't need other things besides faith. It's faith in him and him alone. Whenever you're ready, come up. Take communion. Please come see one of us. We pray for you. I want to love you. and minister to you. Whenever you're ready, the Lord invites us. The Lord invites us. Come up. For those of you that are here and praying, I want you to continue to just go ahead and pray and, and wait. I, I want to pray a prayer benediction and dismiss everybody that needs to go, and we all stand together. Oh God, God, remind us today who you are. Remind us today what you have done. Remind us today truth. That would anchor us, anchor our lives, anchor our soul. Remind us today that you're a God of healing, that you're a God of restoration. You're a God of second chances. You're a God who redeems us from the pit. You're a God who forgives us of our sins. You are a God who renews us in our brokenness. You are a God. You are a God of compassion and of mercy. You are a God who is heartbroken today. Over the suffering, evil, and injustice in this world. You are a God who is moved to the depths of his soul and has promised that you will return one day. Return one day to make all things new, make all things right, and all things whole. Our hope rests in you. Our hope rests in you. Our hope rests in you. As you leave today, be agents of healing. Whether it be because you lay your hands on the sick and pray for healing, or you pour out your time and energy resources to a broken, hurting world that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus, be an agent of healing in his name. Let the world see and know through you and your life an amazing God who has given his all, who has given his all. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. See you guys here next week as we continue our journey. Have a great week.